Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Now, you guys heard a lot of things there that I suspect that the most of you have never heard before. You heard about the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, Israel celebrated a year of Jubilee. We'll talk about it a little later on. We talked, he, he mentioned this, the land of Israel belongs to God, not the people. He said, he read there that the people are really tenant farmers for God. He's the landowner, they're the tenant farmer. And you're going to run into, and I wanted him to read that because the book of Ruth is going to introduce to you some situations that you have never heard of, probably, if you're not a pretty good student of Scripture. And, and it, it'll refer to the year of Jubilee. You'll hear a term called leveret marriage, but I bet you never heard of before. And you'll hear the term kinsman redeemer. He talked about redeeming the land. If a guy gets in trouble and, and loses his land, it can be redeemed. It's be like you going to a hawk shop, giving them your guitar. They give you $10 for it, and you can redeem it for 20 uh, But getting it back is called redemption. Actually, in the Bible, the money that's required to get it back is called a ransom. And you'll run into that in, in, as we go along here uh, in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth was written in the Bible to introduce these two terms, the leveret marriage and the kinsman redeemer. That there, it was there just for that purpose. But there's a beautiful story that goes with it that sets it all up. I'll go quickly through that story uh, if I can. And as I do, you will see if you've looked at your bulletins. Now, if you do not have a bulletin, go get one. Or lift your hand and we'll have someone bring you one. Because it's going to be, and it would help you if you bring a pencil or a, or a pen. Because uh, it, it will be most helpful to you. Now, if you don't have a hand up, I'm assuming that, yeah, who, who needs one? I'll take the time to wait on you. Who needs a, a bulletin? Are you that good? Sheesh, you guys are ahead of me there. That's really good. Okay, because you'll notice there that I listed nine different things that uh, are really are kind of the cast and how it's located there in, in the book. First of all, you should note that we're talking about a family that lives in a village called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem is a combination of two Hebrew words. The word B-E-T-H means house or home. Uh, we'll call it house. The ending there, Lehem, me really means uh, bread. So Bethlehem, by definition, is, is called the, the, a village. That village of Bethlehem is called the house of bread. And you'll see that there. And so that village at the time that uh, Ruth was written, was this episode took place, was probably not much bigger than the town near where I grew up. I grew up out in a country called Germantown, Kentucky. 
if you had a good west wind and you could spit pretty good, you could probably spit over it on a windy day. There may have been a couple hundred people that lived there. Bethlehem was that kind of village at the time we're talking about here with Ruth. Now, there was a family there. Who, the head of the family was a guy by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech. Elimelech's name literally means, my God is king. My God is the king. He had a wife named Naomi. Naomi was, uh, she in this little village was a very popular person. They, the name that they gave her, the meaning of the word uh, uh, Naomi, actually means a very pleasant person. She was kind of the little Miss Sunshine in the village where she lived. She and Elimelech, married to each other, had two children. Now, this is where it gets a little bit humorous. How many of you would name your, your son Puny? Actually, I met one person in my lifetime. I was a kid, and my mother and dad had friends in, Mil in Milford, Kentucky, and one of them was a guy, his, they actually, his nickname was Puny. One of their children was named Puny, and the other one, uh, two boys, and one of them was named Unhealthy. That was the name, literal meaning of the names of these two boys. So I, I, uh, and they had a tendency to name people after something about that person's out personality. Because you remember, even in the New Testament, the apostle Peter's name wasn't really Peter. His name was changed to Peter to describe his up and down personality. If you recall the word Petros, the, the Greek word Petros, there's a Petra, Petros. Petros means a rock that you can skip across the creek. I don't know, some of you have probably tried that. I grew up doing that. You skip a little because you would get in the contest with your brothers to see how far you could skip a rock across the creek. That was literally Peter's name, and Jesus gave him that name uh, simply because cause his real name was Simon. And so he called, he called him Peter because it described his personality. And there were lots of other names like that as well. The two Hebrew terms that are used, Mehalon, uh, it, it was, um, uh, was the one that was, that word Mehalon means unhealthy. That's the literal meaning of the name. And, and Chilion um, was uh, the one who was called Puny. And these, then what happened there is Bethlehem was called the house of bread because all around this village were farms that raised two things in particular. There was a barley harvest followed by a wheat harvest. And, and when you've got lots of wheat and barley, you make bread. So it became, became known as that. They probably, Scripture doesn't specifically say, probably had a drought and the, and the and and the their crops just didn't materialize and Elimelech and Naomi lost everything they not only lost the farm and their home place but they owed a lot of money they owed a debt and uh, and they couldn't pay it so they left and went to Moab if you go 
from Bethlehem down toward the Dead Sea and crossed the Dead Sea. There's a land there called Moab. Moab had a bad reputation uh, with the Israelites because when Israel was coming out of Egypt up to claim the promised land, the Moabites wouldn't let them come through their land. And so there was always some tension that remained there. But nonetheless, there was food to eat there and work to be done. And so they went over Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem with their two boys, puny and unhealthy, went over uh, to Moab. And while they were there, Elimelech died. Naomi then became, had two boys. They got sick and died. Both of them had married. One of them married a girl named Ruth, who was a Moabite, a local girl. And the other, Orpah, married, uh, was married to the other son. So these two sons married. The, and now we got three widows. Widows in biblical times had it really tough. Because if they couldn't get back to their family, so often they turned to prostitution just to survive. And so it, it was a difficult existence. So Naomi brought, and these two girls really loved their mother-in-law. I struggle with that at times with, because uh, my mother-in-law was, she was, how, how, how do you, what's another kind word for saying bossy? I, I don't know what the word is, but you can supply it anyway. But we, we got along all right. She was generous and she could cook redeeming virtues what was that confident uh, uh, okay. I really didn't expect somebody to holler out at me like that but I wasn't hardly prepared for it but I kind of like it you know all right so here we got these three widows and Naomi says I'm going to go back home I'm not going to turn to prostitution, whatever. I'm going to go back home. She called these two girls together who really loved their mother-in-law. And, and obviously, she cared about them. And so she said to both Orpah and, and to Ruth, you're young women. You haven't any children. And I'm too old to have sons that you could that would grow up to wait for you to marry them. You need to go back to your folks find a man, get married, build a, build a family, and I will go back. And, and the girls were crying, and she was crying, and they hugged each other, and Orpah said, okay, I'll go back. But Ruth said, and this is the, the passage of Scripture that in the book of Ruth that all of you remember pretty well, when she looked at her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she said to her, look, I'm going to stay with you. Where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm going to go with you. And she, then the two of those widows together, the, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, went back to Bethlehem. When they got back to Bethlehem, it didn't take long till everybody there realized that she had come home. And she said to them, and they were saying, Oh, Miss Sunshine, you're, we're glad you're home. She said, Don't call me Miss Sunshine. I'm not. I'm really Mara. Now, the word Mara, another, I'm, I'm sorry about throwing in these Hebrew words, but I, I don't know any other way to do it. Do you remember when Israel was coming out of 
Egypt and they came to water and when they drank it, it was bitter and they couldn't drink it. The word for that bitterness is the word Mara. So what she was really saying is, God has been bitter with me. I've lost my husband. We lost our, our inheritance. My two sons are dead. God has dealt with me bitterly. Just call me Mara. And, and uh, so that word got around that little village there. And uh, it was really an interesting situation. It was during the barley harvest that she got back. And, during, and, and what you probably have never really thought about much, and this will get a little spicy, but that's the way it is. Ruth, her very, her very name Ruth means glamorous or beautiful. This young woman was a knockout. She had a classy chassis and a pretty face. And men, what are we attracted to? Classy chassis and a pretty face. I can, I've told you before, the first time I ever saw my present wife was in 1955, and she was walking up Main Street of Grayson, Kentucky, with very little on. Now, if there's anything that gets the attention of a man, it's a classy chassis, a pretty face with not much on. She was walking up, and she had this stick and was pitching it up in the air and trying to catch it with a whole bunch of a band playing behind her. I guess they were just rooting for her to catch that thing. And, and she was going, and she could bring her knees up real high. I'd never seen anything like that in Germantown, Kentucky, you know. And I said to myself, Self, there's potential here. And then Sunday, we everybody had to go. We all went to the all the students there at Kentucky Christian went to the same church building uptown. And when I got there, here was little Miss Sunshine Grace in Kentucky without much clothes on, fully clad, playing the church organ. I said to myself, "Self, she just went up another notch," you know. Well, the rest of it is history 64 years later. But anyway, actually, it's Mother Nett, I, that because that courtship lasted for a while. And, uh, but men are attracted. We are, we, we are physical. Women are different. Did you ever see a really good-looking woman with a bald-headed, ugly, fat husband? And when, how in the heck did that happen? Women look for security. They, wanna, they want to marry a man who will make it possible for her to have a nest, have her babies, raise her babies, and know that they're secure. And they have, an, they have sort of a God-given instinct for figuring that kind of stuff out. Now, Rita, I saw you punch him there, and I don't know how you ended up with him. But, I, but, but anyway, that's, that's kind of... But men... We look at the physical body of a woman, and, and that's, that's a big deal. Later on, you know, hopefully the personality is there, and, and you can blend together. But, uh, that, and, and there was a guy there, a wealthy fella, and it was during the harvest time for, the, for barley. His name was Boaz. 
he was wealthy, he owned a lot of ground, he had a lot of people that worked for him, he had a large household, and uh, his name literally means strength. And, and so Boaz was overseeing the harvesting of his crops. Naomi, the mother-in-law, knew the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law says in Israel, if you're harvesting, um, if you're harvesting whether it's barley or wheat, the harvester had a what we call a mowing scythe, and on the back of it there was a what they call a cradle, and you take that and the and the the wheat or barley gets back in there until you get a bunch about this big around, and you take some of the wheat just to, and use it as a string and tie it and you set two of them up here and when you get a, several of them together that's called a shock you do the same thing did the same thing with corn it's called a fodder shock here it's a shock of a barley but if in the process of doing that one of those flakes uh, uh, sees you happen to fall the rule was you don't pick it up you leave it there because there are people in the community who are hungry, there are widows, there are aliens, there are people who are just poor, and they are to have, and, and you don't, and the, all the way around the edge of the field, you don't cut that either. You leave that for those folks. That was their welfare program for Israel. So Naomi says, look, you, you go over here to Boaz because Boaz was a second cousin of her dead husband, Elimelech. I know this gets a little confusing, but I, I hope I can make it clear and simple. And so she said, I know this guy. He's wealthy, and, and he's distant kin to my husband. And uh, you go there, and you work, you pick up. The, the, and and uh, Boaz, overseeing all of this, all of a sudden sees this young woman classy chassis, pretty face, and he says, I like what I see here, because that's the way men operate. They operate on what they see. And he goes to her, and he says, look, you're welcome. I know you're a Moabite. I know you're a foreigner. You're an alien, but you're welcome here, and what I want you to do so you'll be protected from the other men is I want you to go alongside of the people from my household so they can protect you and look after you. Because after all, you're looking after Naomi, who was married to my kinfolks, and, and I want you to do that. And, and what he already had in mind was, I think there's potential there, if you follow my thinking, okay? So he looks after her and Naomi encourages it, the relationship. Because Boaz, being a wealthy person, was in a position to go redeem with money the property that they had lost when Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem and went to Moab. Somebody who held their note had claimed the land. But the Bible said, and what the young man read here earlier, that can be redeemed. 
or ransom, to pay the ransom and, and redeem it. And that word redemption, you see, becomes an important word in the New Testament, as we'll get to later. So, how is this going to happen? Well, Boaz says, you know, more I see of her, the more I like. So what he did then was he looked into who she was, who she was married to, and saw that he was second in line to redeem her. Now, understand we're talking about a, a concept that you probably never heard of called the leveret marriage. The leveret marriage is like this. If my oldest brother had died without a son, my next brother Chuck, by the Jewish law, would have had the responsibility of taking her into his household as a wife and hopefully to produce a son so that he would inherit the property that would ultimately have gone to Jean. Now, if Chuck had died... I would have had to take Jean's wife and Chuck's wife plus my own wife. And if you knew those two guys' wives, you'd know that God would have had to hate me to have allowed that to happen. But anyway, that's, that's, that was the law of the leveret in order to keep the ground in the name of the end. Lots of places down around uh, Germantown, there uh, were na- the the, plop- the property where people lived was actually named after it would call the old Rawlings Place or the old Hall Face or the you know different. It was named even though they may not live there anymore. It was still known as that. That's the way it, that came from Israel. That came from the Bible, and and so uh, there's a place in the New Testament that's kind of it's in the 22nd chapter of the book of of Matthew where Jesus' adversaries actually brought up the subject of the leveret marriage. I'm going to read that to you because I think it's, it's kind of interesting and it will kind of outline what I've been trying to tell you as I go through this. Starting at what? Verse 23. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told that if a man dies without having children... His brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers in this family. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to the second brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be uh, since they were all married to her? He was talking about that concept of a leveret marriage because the name was related, of the individual was related to the plot of ground that was given to them. And then, and then at the year of Jubilee, if you've never heard of it, in Israel, under Israeli law, ever seven years the land was to lay fallow, no crops. And, and, and seven times seven is 49 years. And on the 50th year, all debts were to be forgiven. And the people then would go back to live in the ground that was originally theirs because God said, I want you this to stay in your name forever because it really belongs to me and you're my tenant farmers and this is why, the way I want it done. 
and and it's kind of foreign to us now but this is the the context of the book of Ruth and so Boaz was able in time finally he married Ruth and they had a son and when that happened now and Boaz paid all of the debts that Elimelech and Naomi had incurred paid all the debts the ground then went back to the son of Boaz and Naomi and uh, and Ruth and and he became the the resident of that land and, and I, I know it's a little confusing, but you ought to be, read the book of Ruth once in a while. It'll be good for you, and it'll all be very clear because it's just four chapters. You can run through it, and it's a beautiful story. Now, what had happened here, as I said, uh, we run into two things that, that, you need to, that I need to make very clear. That's the, first of all, the leveret marriage that I've tried to spell out to you that is referred to here that is there for the purpose of an individual's name never going out of existence. For instance, Alice Kay and I have three boys. And so the name Rawlings is going to continue for a while. And, and Brian has three boys. So it's going to go on and on and on and on and on until the day will come when we'll outnumber you and you guys can all work for us or something like that. Because... But that, that's the concept, you see. And, and it's this leveret marriage thing, so that the name will go on, and that name in Israel is directly associated with a plot of ground that was given to them initially when Israel took the land that really belonged to God. And he specifically said, but you're my tenant farmers, and this is the way I want it done. Now, I understand more of that than you may think, because my dad was a tenant farmer. When we were growing up, there were three of us boys. Uh, Uncle Robbie had a big farm. He married Dad's sister, Aunt Vi, or Violet was her name. And Dad was, we lived in a little two-room house. Show you pictures. We ha actually have them. And, uh, and Dad worked as a tenant farmer, and I can tell you, you never get ahead. You just live hand to mouth. And sometimes, not much gets to your mouth. In our case, there was never much of a problem because we were allowed to have a garden, and that garden was bigger than this room. Uh, it was a good-sized garden, and so we were never hungry. But a lot of people really struggled. The as tenant farmers. <clears throat> when I was in the fourth grade, hadn't finished it yet, still in school at uh, Sunrise, Kentucky, my dad bought a little farm over in Mason County, about 13 miles outside of Maysville, just out a mile and a quarter out of a little town called Germantown, 127 acres. Paid $12,500 for it. He had the $500. The rest of it had to be paid for if you went. And that's, that's when we became, in the eyes of many, successful. Daddy, we had our own place, and it was paid for altogether different. And so uh, life got better from there, to be honest with you. 
never were rich, but never were hungry. And uh, God was really good to us, and he blessed us. That's the life of a tenant farmer. So that's when, when met Naomi and, and uh, uh, Elimelech got married, they became tenant farmers for God. And so are the rest of the Israelites because God specifically said, you don't own this land, I do. And the young man that read that in the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus emphasized that. So, okay, that's number number two. Remember the year of Jubilee that I've mentioned for you. Every 50 years, everything reverted back. All the family got to go back. Even if they owed debt, that debt was forgiven, they go back and they start fresh all over again. And that's called the, and if you're a slave, if you had, if, if first, so if I owed William McKinley a, a lot of money, and I could go to, uh, on the year of Jubilee, that, that debt that I owed him was forgiven. It was gone. I didn't owe him anything anymore. And, and, if, and if during that, say, the last 10 years of that year, I, and I owed him so much that I enslaved myself to him. At the year of Jubilee, I was forgiven, and I was free, set free. And so the, the year of Jubilee was a time of celebrating for the whole nation of Israel. That's why it's called a Jubilee. For those of you who don't know what a Jubilee is, you know, we'll have a Jubilee down in Nashville, Tennessee, and be shouting hallelujah all the day. Well, I, I don't want to get famous singing, but that's, uh, that's, that, that word Jubilee has found its way into our culture, especially in, in country music. Now, the, uh, the thing that is very important that I want to spell out here for you is this. When they put the concept on the table of a kinsman. Now, Boaz was a kinfolks of Elimelech. And he, because of his wealth, went to the people who got Elimelech's property because he was in debt and had to leave town, so on and so forth. Boaz goes to them and pays off the debt and gives the property back to the descendants of Elimelech, who happened to be Ruth's little boy. That concept of a kinfolks doing that is called a kinsman, because they're kin to each other, redeemer, which means paying the price to get it back. He became the kinsman redeemer. Now, that becomes an important issue that was put on the table here to help explain what Jesus did when he came to earth. And this is the reason it was put there to start with. Whether you know it or not, the Bible teaches that Jesus is our kinsman, that we're actually kin to Jesus. How did this happen? Jesus God in the, was God who put on skin, came to earth, in the form of a little baby. He grew up, and at 30 years old, he was baptized, and he entered a public ministry because Jewish law said that a boy didn't have sense enough to talk in public until he was at least 30. That probably hadn't changed. 
But anyway, that was the, the way that the Jewish law. So Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He entered the public ministry. And then he chose 12 disciples to, to, to disciple and to prepare them to, to build the church. And in that process, he said to his disciples, you're now baptized into the family of God. I belong to the family of God, Jesus said. Now to the 12, he said, you belong to the family of God, which means that we're now brethren. And since I'm your brother, and we're kin to each other in the family of God, I will go to the cross and shed my blood to meet God's demand, to my Father's demands for the payment of sin. And I will pay the price for the sin that all mankind has committed. I'll pay that price and redeem you by having paid the ransom, and you now are free from the penalty of sin and death. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. Jesus paid the price, gladly paid the price. And you remember when he was on the cross, and they were blaming the Romans, they were blaming the Jews, Christians did that for years. Some of them high name, blamed the Jews for everything. And Jesus said, they're not to blame. It, sin caused me to go to the cross. I'm not here because they had the power to put me here. I'm here by choice. And if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels from the army of God to come and set me free. I'm here because by my death here on the cross, I am paying the price for the sins of mankind. And they, through my shedding of blood, are redeemed from the penalty of sin and have access to my family if they'll just put faith in me. It's that simple. And that concept was introduced, you see, in the book of Ruth. By the kins concept of a kinsman, that just means you're kin to folks, a kinsman, redeemer, a redeemer who pays the price of what we owe to set us free. And the Bible says that if you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. I like to change it just a little bit without changing the, the, the subject. I like to change that word to if you're free in Christ, you're free Indeedy, that's the way we said it in Kentucky. And, of course, that's what we speak when we get to heaven. You really aren't awake, are you? <laughs> okay. All right. So the whole concept is this. If you put your faith in Christ, if you trust him to be who he said he was, God in the flesh, and you believe that what he did on the cross was a payment for anybody's sin, anybody's sin, who will recognize him as the only begotten Son of God. 
you then will be adopted into the family of God. And you then become a brother of Jesus. Your kinsman who paid for your sin. Now, I don't, I, I've, gone, I've covered a whole bunch of stuff and I hope you're not too confused. And at least the latter part of it, I hope you've got in your head and it's clear. There are songs that we've sung. You know, they sang all this Rudy Tootie stuff on the platform in the morning. There's usually not much theological substance to it. Back when we were real Christians and I grew up. Most of the songs had theological content. There are songs like about redemption, believe it or not. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Da -da 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 -da. As I said, I don't want to become famous as a singer. But, and, and there's several, if you've got an old hymn book, you look, through, look at the number of songs there that either mention or emphasize the concept of redemption. It means that we were slaves to sin, and all of us have been. Every one of us have been. You know, I look at our culture, and they don't want to use the word sin. You never hear it on television. You never hear it on radio. Sin. Because the liberal world has said man is essentially good. Well, you don't see it anywhere. It's just a lot of baloney. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all made serious mistakes. And God has said, what can you do about it? Our answer, nothing. We do not have the resources to do anything about it. So he said, I can and I will. And you, regardless of what you've done, I talked to a man last night, he said, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian. I said, Dick Tracy, I'm not either. No one is. We're all addicted to some type of sin, all of us. So, what's the big deal? Jesus says, you put your confidence in me, and I will make sure that you're adopted into my family. We will be brothers in the kingdom of God and we will live together eternally. And there's nothing Satan or anybody else can do about it. And it's free. It's free. And since it doesn't cost you anything, and the reason it doesn't cost you anything is I've already paid for it. I like free stuff. And so he said, salvation is free. And now we're brothers in the family of God. So I'll, I'll end up here. I, I don't know where all of you folks are in your relation to God. I have no way of knowing that. Only you do. But if you don't have absolute confidence that you're going to go to heaven when you die, we need to talk. We need to talk. Just sit and, and, and see how do we get from 
a, a, a situation of anxiety and in facing death to a place of confidence that you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. There is a heaven. There is a God. And eventually, there will be an eternal kingdom that we all can belong to because our brother Jesus redeemed us, paid the ransom for our sin, and welcomes you into his family. It's that simple, and it's that beautiful. I'm a little bit tired, so I think I'm going to quit. What time is it? I'm giving you a 10-minute break. And each of those minutes is going to cost you a few dollars for the bucket. So, but let's go ahead and pray together, and then you'll be free to go. Father, we, I want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending him into the world and paying the price for our sins. Redeeming us from the clutches of Satan and evil and giving us the assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning who isn't confident, who isn't at least comforted by the fact that of what you did for us and what you continue to do for us, we pray that they'll not leave this building until they have received the blessed assurance that's promised by you and your word. Dismiss us with an abiding sense of your presence. You've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, for your continuing goodness to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.